Thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you, Lord God, for bringing us all together here. Thank you for such an amazing and beautiful day. Pray that our minds and our hearts would just be focused on you, that you would speak directly to us as individuals in this body. And then, Lord God, that you would speak to us as a church body. Motivate us, encourage us, Lord, help us to focus on you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're talking about stretch marks, okay, stretching your faith. That's what this series has been all about. And I'm thinking about if you really want to stretch your faith, and this is basic, but if you really truly want to stretch your faith, you need to become more like Jesus Christ. If you really want to grow, if you want to mature, whatever words you want to use, if you want to be bold, you want to, you want to live outside the lines, whatever words you choose to, to put in place there, you need to be more and become more like Jesus Christ. No man has had greater influence in this world than Jesus. His ability, his amazing ability to inspire and encourage across ethnic and cultural lines is unmatched in human history. This one life, Okay, this one man's life has has transformed billions of people. Absolutely billions of people. So this morning I thought it'd be interesting to just pick one of those lives. Just one life that he that he transformed. One life that he inspired, one life that he encouraged and kind of look at that life. And I thought, well, maybe the best place to start is with the disciples. Okay, those were the original. So how did he inspire their lives? And I thought, well, who would most people relate to? You know, you pick like Peter and, you know, and some people are like, yeah, you know, Peter, but I don't really relate to Peter. So I thought in general, who would most people relate to? So I chose Andrew. I really like Andrew. I don't talk about him a lot, but I really, really like Andrew. Now, most of you are probably thinking to yourself, now, who is Andrew again? Which guy was he? Which one was he? And and you should think that because Andrew was more of the behind the scenes kind of guy. He was in the background most of the time. But we know that he had a really close relationship with Jesus because he was constantly introducing. Whenever you hear about him, it's mostly he's introducing someone to Jesus. He's bringing someone to Jesus. For example, he brought his more flamboyant and outgoing brother, Peter, Simon first, and then Peter, to Jesus. He introduced Peter to Jesus. In in, uh, John chapter 1, 41 and 42, it says, The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, who is Peter, and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. Always introducing people to Jesus. His eagerness to follow Jesus Christ and his desire to introduce people to Christ typifies Andrew's character. That's pretty much Andrew. His desire to be like him and his desire to introduce people to him pretty much tells you a lot about who Andrew was. Andrew appears only nine times in the New Testament, and most of those verses are just in passing, so we don't have a ton of information on him. We don't have a lot of information. Andrew, because Andrew basically lived in the shadow of his more outgoing, bold brother, Peter. So, you know, you, you, don't, you don't hear too much about him. Most of the time, think about this, and this is where, this is where you begin to get glimpses into someone's character and, and who they are. Most of the time, if you're, number one, if you're like Andrew, you don't even invite Peter to meet Jesus, right? 
Because you, you live with a guy all your life. You know it's going to happen. And most of the time, if you have a brother and you introduce them to someone and he pretty much dominates, then you're going to have, you're going to have, you're going to be, uh, uh, jealous. There's going to be jealousy. There's going to be resentment. There's going to be some sibling rivalry. I mean, how many times have you said to yourself in your own life, you, with a, without a friend or a, a sibling or someone else, you said, I don't, not even sure I want to, like in business, I'm not sure I really, really want to introduce that person to this person with the resources because they, they, they're so outgoing. And if I introduce them, they're most likely going to build a stronger relationship. And so you don't do it. You don't introduce the person or you don't invite the person to the party or you don't do it because you think when I invite that person, they're going to be the life of the party. And what am I going to be in the background? Not Andrew. It's amazing. In Andrew's case, there's no evidence that he had any problem with his brother's personality at all. There's no indication that Andrew was jealous of his brother or had issues with his brother or didn't want to invite his brother. Now, and then you have to stop and think about this because I find this to be fascinating. This is where I look at people like Andrew and say, Lord, help me become more like him. Like, you know, Paul said, follow my examples. I follow the example of Christ. So I look at the examples of people like Andrew and I say, I want to be more like Andrew. Because, you know, there's so many outgoing people and they're, they're out there and they're flamboyant. You, I want to be like them. But, you know, some of the characteristics that really make us Christ-like and that get us to the point we really want to stretch our faith, we have the courage to stretch our faith, comes from that internal desire, comes from that, that internal maturity where you run up against a wall somewhere spiritually and you say, you know, what would Jesus do? And you think, okay, how did Andrew handle these situations? Andrew, you got to stop and think about it. And you realize that Andrew must have understood, think about this, his life mission. In order for him to have that, well, yeah, come on and introduce and you know who's going to take over. He must have really understood his life mission. He understood his purpose. And he was, he was comfortable, very comfortable with who, whom God created him to be. Must have been. So he understood his purpose, knew he understood his personality, knew who he was as a person, recognized his his strengths and limitations, understood what what how God created him, what gifts he had. And he was comfortable with the way God created him. See, we get confused by by what the world says we should be. I call it the magazine cover confusion, right? You look at a magazine cover, for women especially, it's worse. You look at a magazine cover and they're saying, here's who you should be. This is what you should look like. We all know that they photoshopped those things and that's not even the person. The person on the magazine cover is not even the person on the magazine cover. But then they want you to be the person on the magazine cover, right? That's what a, that's what a woman really should look like. Or here's how they should be. Or now with Facebook and all kinds of things, what you see is the highlights of every, the good part of everyone's life. And you think, I wish I had a family like that. Let me tell you as a pastor, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Okay? You're comparing your whole life to their highlights. Oh man, look, they're on a beach and they're all holding hands. You know, right? And you're constantly comparing yourself to their highlights. It's this magazine. It's this worldly mentality that, you know, if you're a guy and, you know, you're on the entrepreneur magazine or this magazine or whatever magazine, this is how you're supposed to look. And here's how you're supposed to be on top. And you're, you know, and they lay that all out. And then you're striving your whole life, clawing your way to the top. And like Lee Iacocca said years back, he said, they asked him, you could tell, if you could tell younger people one thing, what would you tell them? He says, when you get to the top, there's nothing there. So you claw your way to the top, 
The world tells you how you should be and how you should live. And when you get to the top, there's nothing there. And you're standing there going, wait, wait a second. When you look like the person on the magazine cover, you know what? Life doesn't get any better. If you don't have what Andrew had, this internal confidence, Andrew knew who he was. It didn't matter how he looked. It didn't matter who could do something else better. His brother was better at certain things than he was. His brother was more flamboyant, more outgoing, more like, you know, got all the, you know, got all the texts. But, you know, we, we look at Peter sometimes and go, man, Peter, for goodness sake, calm down, brother. You know what I mean? Always doing stuff. He was the example of what not to do a lot of the time, right? Peter was the example of what not to do. See, Andrew, instead of following the crowd, he followed his call. He wasn't caught up in what everyone else thinks he should be. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to be something or someone that he wasn't. And that allowed him, I want you to think about this, that allowed him to maximize his gifts. We spend so much time. I watch people, and, it's, and it, get, it gets irritating to me. I watch people posture. I'm in meetings with people, some people who are, you know, they, they, they have maybe the resources, they have whatever, and they sit in a meeting and they posture. And I honestly, before God, think to myself, that must be exhausting. It seems like every word they say is calculated so that you think a certain thing about what they're saying or you think a certain way about them. It's all calculated. And I think that's exhausting. To have to posture and, and present yourself because you want someone else to think you're this. Andrew didn't care. He was who he was. He didn't try to be something or someone else. And that gave him this freedom to maximize his gifts. He under, this is, I love this because he truly understood that a simple lump of clay, we're all lumps of clay, okay? A simple lump of clay in the hands of an artist can become a, 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 a work of art. I mean, a, an incredible work of art. And Andrew, to me, was a, it was a masterpiece. Andrew was a spiritual masterpiece because he understood that you take a lump of clay and you put it in the hands of an incredible artist and you are going to get a spiritual work of art. And that's what he was. He was a spiritual work of art flourishing where most people would find frustration, right? Let's be honest. This dude flourished in places where most people would be totally frustrated. I am not playing second fiddle to that dude. That's it. I'm going to go do something else. I need to be, I need to be, I need to be. And Andrew's like, you know what? That's not important. Those things aren't important. Sometimes stretching your faith, I think all the time, Stretching your faith means understanding how you were created and accepting, okay, accepting your call. And that is really, really hard. There, are time, there have been times in my life where God, I've been alone with God and God has told me things. And, and, and in telling me certain things, it limited what I thought I'd be able to do or I'd be able to accomplish. And, and I had to come to grips with the fact that, you know what? I, I would like to, I would like to do this, or I would like to see this, or I'd like to accomplish that. But God said, no, you're, you're, that's not what I have for you. I have, I have something else. It's just as cool, it's just as dynamic, but, you know, my mind was set on, here's what I think, and here's what we should, and, and God said, no, I have not gifted you that way. You need, if you're going to accomplish that, Greer, you're going to need this person, and this person, and that person, and this person around you. 
You're going to need people around you who have gifts that you, you, I'm sorry, when you walk by, you duck when I gave that gift. I can't help it, all right? So you just don't have those gifts. And so you're going to need the people who actually stood there and received those gifts in order to accomplish what God, what I have for you. And that's hard sometimes. It really is to come to grips with who you are and how you were made. Not everyone's going to be a Peter. But that's okay. Andrew's great. And Andrew is a, wor- a spiritual work of art. Again, it was Andrew, like I said, who brought Andrew brought his brother Peter to Christ. And this is great. He did it without hesitation. You know, once he found out that who the Messiah was, he runs back. He gets his brother. I found the Messiah and bring. He did it without hesitation. Andrew was was fully aware of Peter's tendency to domineer. He was fully aware of it. He was he grew up with the guy. It's not like he was surprised by what was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. He must have known full well that as soon as Peter enters the picture, he's going to be in the background. He's going to take a back seat. He knew that full well. Yet he brought his brother anyway. Then he runs back and says, I mean, honestly, he must have been, he must have had the spiritual maturity to say, what is most important here? Most important here is building the kingdom of God. My brother is, my brother is fearless. My brother, man, that guy, he'll, he'll jump out. He will jump off. He will jump into whatever. He reacts right away. Right when Jesus was getting, he took the knife, cut the guys. I mean, Peter is the guy who just, he's outgoing. And, and Andrew knew that. And Andrew's thinking, Andrew's thinking, what builds the kingdom of God? See, that fact alone tells you what you need to know about his character and spiritual maturity. That alone tells you what you need to know about his character and spiritual maturity. I'll tell you something I've learned. Some of the most outgoing, gifted, I'll use the word gifted, talented Christians have been the most horrifying people I've ever worked with in my entire life. Dangerous to dangerous to the kingdom of God. Because they had the gift, they had the talents, they had all this stuff, but they were arrogant. They were so, they knew they were great. They thought, man, I, when I walk, I'm walking on water. They were the worst people to work with and they caused the most damage. They spiritually abused people and not every one of them, but they, some of the worst were people who, who had all that ability where, man, they could speak like no one's business. They were outgoing. They drew a crowd, but they were the most dangerous people. And then the people behind the scenes were investing in other people's lives. The most, they were the most humble, godly, influential people long term. If you look about, if you think about the people here and you think about these more quiet people invested in individual lives, the payoff here I have seen over the years has been so much greater. See, I believe Andrew could see the big picture. He had the ability to step back and see the big picture. He realized that he, he, he realized that it's not, it's not the famous life. That really matters. Okay. It's the faithful life that really matters. It's not just about being famous. If you become famous, you become famous. You know, that's, you know, if the, if the Lord gives you that opportunity, okay. But Andrew understood it was a faithful life that really matters. He had an eternal perspective. Most people in this world have a temporal perspective. The here and now. I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to. Right now. Andrew had what the Bible calls an eternal perspective. He had the right perspective. He understood what was really, truly important. He understood that to know Christ, to become more like Christ, to introduce other people to Christ, 
Those were the most important things. That was what really counted. That is God's will. To impact the world around you is what God wants for each one of us. And if that means there's four people that you impact, that's what God has for you. If it's 4,000, that's what God has. Four million, that's what God has for you. But we should still, it doesn't matter if you're the person who can attract four million people or four people, we should all be like Andrew. The attitude that he had. You can be the outgoing, dominating kind of person with the personality plus. That's okay. Just have the same attitude, have the same heart, have the same spiritual maturity, have that same eternal perspective as Andrew had. It's not saying one's better or worse than the other. It's just saying that we all need to be more like Andrew. If we want to grow in our faith, if we want to stretch our faith, we need to become more like Andrew. You don't have to be the most powerful. You don't have to be the richest. You don't have to be the most popular person, okay, in order to do God's will for your life. You just need to know who you are, how God has created you, what your purpose is, and use those gifts, talents, and abilities and treasures to impact the kingdom of God. See, Andrew did what he could with what he had. That's what I loved about him. He did what he could with what he had. Now, I don't know everything about him, but I know that. He, whatever he had, whatever God gave him, he used it to glorify the Lord. You know, of, of all the disciples in the inner circle... Honestly, Andrew appears to be less contentious and more thoughtful. He was less contentious and more thoughtful. Peter tended, right, to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. He, he He was brash. He was hasty. He was impulsive. He said the wrong thing at the wrong time. He did the wrong thing at the wrong time. How many times does Jesus have to correct him and, like, heal people's ears? And, you know, he did the wrong thing at the wrong time. He said the wrong thing at the wrong time. He was brash. He was hasty. You know, he, he was impulsive. That was, his pers- that was his personality. James and John seemed to be the ones constantly bringing up controversial subjects, like who's going to be the greatest, right? Not, you know, they're humans. Andrew had his flaws, too. But it was James and John who were always constantly talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, who's going to be the greatest. But here's the thing. You never you never hear Andrew being involved in those conversations about who's going to be the greatest, who's number one, who's on top, who's going to be first. Scripture never attaches dishonor to his actions or his name. It's more the simple life that he lived. Andrew was perfectly suited for his calling. He knew who he was. He knew what his gifts were. He used those gifts to glorify God. He was perfectly suited for his calling. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? Some people thinking, well, yeah, see, he's kind of more wimpy. His brother was more tough and outgoing. Ah, ah. No, no. Andrew Andrew was no wimpy man. His name means, Andrew means manly. Okay, so right away, they name people specifically in in, in the Old Testament, I mean, the New Testament and in the Old Testament. His name means manly. If you were he was a fisherman, if you were a fisherman and used those nets, okay, you had to be physically strong. You had to be a physically strong person in order to do that. He was bold. He was decisive. He was deliberate. That was Andrew. He wasn't. There was nothing wimpy or 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 weak or or feeble about this guy you see in our culture it's like you know if you're humble it's like humble is is equated with weakness humility is not weakness it's the opposite pride is weakness 
it's really pride that's weakness because you need other people to validate you. Who's weaker? If you're a proud person because you need everybody else to tell you how wonderful you are, constantly getting validation and the pride and the pride builds up. If you're, if you have a prideful attitude, that's weakness because you need other people to validate you to feel good about yourself. Andrew, on the other part, was a humble man. What is What you said or didn't say about him had no personal effect on how he lived his life. He was a humble man. Humility is strength. To be humble, to not take all the credit for something is strength. To not be on the to not be on the magazine cover is strength. To allow other people to, to, to bring other people along and to make sure that they, they are propped up around you to make, to think about other people and say, well, this person's strength. How can I encourage that person's strengths and, and this person's strengths? And, you know, that is, that, that takes strength to do. That is not weakness. Weakness is a person who has to be on the top all the time. Everybody else has to be, you know, kind of tamped down a little bit because everybody has to see me as the most important person in the room. That's weakness. But our world says it's strength. It's wrong. You know what? If you want to know what God thinks, take what the world thinks 99% of the time and just turn it upside down. Whatever you read in your magazines, whatever you read in the books, whatever you just take what the world thinks, unless it's a biblical worldview, and flip it upside down, and that's usually what God thinks. He thinks the opposite of what the world thinks. He was willing to subject himself. Andrew was so tough, he was willing to subject himself to the most extreme kinds of hardships. His willingness, his, his willingness to play a supporting role, as I process through this, gave him the ability to see things, gave him insight into things that the other disciples just had difficulty grasping. It took them longer, it seemed, to grasp. But he seemed to have this spiritual insight that these other guys didn't have. He, he, saw, he saw immense value in small and modest things. Immense value in small and modest. Zechariah 4.10 was probably some, a passage he clearly understood. It said, do not despise these small beginnings. Do not be, do not, do not despise these humble and small beginnings. Andrew could look at people. And, and, and I'm telling, when, when people like this, if you take the personality of people like this, they see things that other people don't see. Andrew could see things that often were missed by all the other disciples. For example, he could see the value in the individual. He was amazing at seeing the value of the individual. There is a difference between, for example, I think Andrew would understand this, okay? I'm up here, I'm talking to all you people, and then, and, and if there was, say there was a cathedral, and there was tons more people, there's a difference between a leader speaking like this and a leader speaking like this to someone. I love you, man. <laughs> right? Right? There's a big difference between talking to someone like this and talking and talking to people and talking to people like this. See, Andrew understood that. The small, the modest things, he understood that. That's what was that's what made him that's what gives me goosebumps about this guy because he understood that. When it came to dealing with people, Andrew, Andrew truly could fully appreciate the value of a single soul. While everybody else was 
focused on the crowd, Andrew could see value in the individual. He saw value in the single soul. He was known again for what? Bringing individuals to Christ and not crowds to Christ. See, we would think, oh, see, look at him. Look how many people he can look at. Look at all the numbers he has. Look at I used to go to when I was a youth pastor, I go to youth workers convention and I hated it sometimes because the first question people would ask you is, well, how many students do you have? It was like all the other youth pastors would ask you. My numbers were good. So but I thought to myself, you know, is that really what it's all about? How about the guy over here who, who lives in a smaller town and doesn't, he has less students to draw from than I have to draw from? Is he less than me because he has less students than I have? That was the question. How many people do you have? How many people do you have? See, it was Andrew. Uh, it was Andrew who bought the, bought the boy with the loaves, the five loaves and the two fishes to Jesus. It was Andrew who did that. When Jesus, when Jesus was uh, gathering, you know, all the things were going on, they were, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit later too, but, but Andrew was the person who bought that little boy with the loaves and fishes to Jesus. All the other disciples, think about this, all the other disciples in that story, and I'll, we'll get into it a little more in a second here, they were all at a loss. You know why they were at a loss? Because what they were doing was looking at the crowd. They all saw the crowd. So they were at a complete loss. But Andrew, on the other hand, saw individuals. Andrew could see the individual. In John chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, Here is a boy with five barley loaves and two small fish. How far will they go among so many? See, my friends, Andrew is teaching us an important lesson here. Something that we all need to learn. Changing the world usually happens on an intimate individual level. You want to change the world? It happens person to person, individual to individual, on a personal level. You say, you say, some of you are thinking, well, Peter led, he went at Pentecost, he spoke at Pentecost, and 3,000 people were added to the church. You're absolutely right. Who led Peter to Christ? Who brought Peter to Christ? So, all the fruit of Peter's ministry would ultimately be the fruit of Andrew's ministry, correct? Because Peter, I mean, Andrew's the one who led Peter to Christ. Peter, Andrew knew kingdom of God, right? Big picture, eternal perspective. My brother can, my, wait, my brother, wait, watch this, right? I'm going to bring him into the, I'm going to draw him to Christ. And he comes to know him to introduce him to Christ. And he's going to go out there and tear things up, right? The fruit of Peter's ministry was ultimately the fruit of Andrew's faithful individual witness. Few people have ever heard of Edwin Kimball. Edwin Kimball, Edward Kimball, Edward Kimball um, is, is like a footnote in the annals of church history, right? Edward Kimball. Most people are like, well, Ed, I never heard of the guy. Uh, Edward Kimball was the Sunday school teacher of D.L. Moody. Okay. D.L. Moody affected people on, in England and America. Um, he, he, he influenced so many people on both sides of the Atlantic. His ministry dominated the second half of the 19th century. Tens of thousands of people came to know Christ because of D.L. Moody. But you never heard it, Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was, well, while I'm talking here, there are teachers back here teaching little children. 
investing their lives in the little children or showing up at, 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 at harvest festivals and making sure those kids are loving. They love to come to church. This is so much fun. Two little boys ran up to, to Eddie, one of our staff people, and, and they said, is this going to be here tomorrow night? You know, they wanted they, <laughs> they were excited. You know, they, they love to be at church. You know why I let kids run around the church? Some of you may be thinking, well, those kids run around that church. I don't want them on stage. So I don't want to break anything. But you know why I let them run around the church? I wanted to have fun here. Grab a couple donuts, get sugared up, run around the church. It's cool. (laughs) Right? Edward Kimball invested in D.L. Moody and changed probably millions of lives. Think about the person. Think about the person who had the greatest influence on your life. Think about it for a second. Who had the greatest influence on Jeff Greer's life? Who had the greatest influence on your life? Say, who had the greatest influence on my life? Think, was it, was it a famous athlete or actor? They had the greatest influence on your life, that famous athlete or actor. Was it a, was it a powerful politician? No. I get a kick out of them saying, we need, we need to elect someone who's going to be an example to our children. Boys, you can forget that. Sorry. That's just not going to happen this, this time around. Okay, sorry. Um, I won't. <laughs> But, you know, it's like, who, who had the greatest influence on your life? Was it that most, it was the most popular kid in your high school. It just came around you, right? No, no. It was that teacher. It was that friend who discipled you, who mentored you, who invested their lives into you one-on-one. And if I, if I, I don't have the time now, but if I rolled you up here, you could all give a name of that person. And I guarantee none of us have probably ever heard of him. But you have. And the influence they've had on the kingdom of God, the influence they've had on so many people's lives, your life, then you investing in your children, your children's children, it's incredible. That's why Andrew had an eternal perspective. He had an eternal perspective. Andrew could also see the value in seemingly insignificant gifts. He could see the value in the littlest thing, the most insignificant gifts. Go back. Let's go back to the little boy with the loaves and the fish. Okay. So Jesus had gone to a mountain. He was trying to get away to be alone with his disciples, probably exhausted. You know, he's talking to people all the time. People come and want to get healed. So Jesus wants to get away and he wants to go to the mountaintop. Matthew fourteen fifteen it says, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowd away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 16, Jesus replied, uh, they don't have to go away. You give them something to eat. Okay. The disciples were blown away. Must have been completely blown away by what Jesus just said. They're thinking to themselves, this is unreasonable. This is unthinkable. And this is really, let's be honest. They're thinking, about this is impossible. But what have we been saying this entire series? impossibilities are just opportunities for our capacities to be stretched. Jesus asks you to do something. You say, that's unreasonable. That's impossible. That's just what's not going to happen. Impossibilities are just opportunities for our capacities to be stretched. That's what Jesus wants to do. Guess who spoke up at this event? Say it. Andrew. Okay, remember back in John chapter six, verse nine. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small five barley loaves and two small fish. How can how, how but how far will they go among so many? He knew Andrew's not stupid. He knew that five barley loaves and two, loaves and two small fish were not going to feed all these masses of people. But in typical Andrew fashion, he brought the little boy to Jesus anyway. Right. 
Why? Because he saw the small things. He focused on the individuals. He was very, very thoughtful. Jesus had commanded his disciples to go and feed all those people. Right? He, he commanded that. You feed them. Don't send them away. You feed them. Andrew, being Andrew, realized that Jesus, the one he follows, the one he's watched, is not going to command them to do something that he's not going to give them the power to do. Could Andrew do it? Andrew knew he couldn't do it. Could the other disciples do it? They just basically gave up. That was craziness, right? Andrew brings a little boy in the fishes. And I'm telling you, something in Andrew seemed to understand that, that there's no, no gift is insignificant in the hands of Jesus Christ. No life is insignificant in the hands of Jesus Christ. No, no personality is too far gone or whatever else. No one is in the hands of Jesus Christ. It's not here. It's not the grace, greatness of the gift that counts. Andrew understood that. It is not the greatness of the gift that counts. It's the greatness of the God to whom you give that gift. And Andrew knew how great his God was. He understood that. See, the question is never, how great am I, Jeff Greer? That's easy for all of us to answer. Not so great. You may like me, whatever else, but if I say to myself, how great am I? I can easily answer, not so great. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm Jeff. Not so great. The question I should be asking, the question all of us should be asking is, how great is my God? How great is the God that I serve? That's the question that we all need to be asking. How great is my God? You think about it. You think about this, okay? David. And some of these people you think, well, David was David. David wasn't David when this happened, okay? David was like, hey, why are you here? Go away, little boy. Go back to the sheep. David took on Goliath with a small stone. Gideon took on the Midianites. Gideon defeated the Midianites with 300 men. The Midianites had 135,000 men. Gideon started with 30,000. And then God said, let's cut this down. They started and he had 10,000. And God said, it's still too many. And Gideon, Gideon's probably sweating. You can imagine Gideon. Uh, there's 135,000 guys over there. <laughs> you know, can we get a couple more maybe? Let's outnumber them. That's a good strategy. God, unorthodox God, says, Gideon, you have too many. Gideon defeated the Midianites with 300 men. Caleb took on the giants when he was 85 years old. 85 years old. They knew how great their God was. David knew how great his God was. Gideon knew how great his God was. Caleb knew how great his God was. Each one of them said, hey, when, he, when David faced Goliath, he said, you know what? Goliath's like talking smack. And David said, you know what? You're, you're so toast. You don't even know it yet. Because the God that I serve, it's right here, okay? He doesn't need a big boulder. He doesn't need a giant man. He just needs me with a sling, and I'm going to take you down, no problem. Why? Because not how great I am. I know how great my God is. Next time Satan tells you, you're too young. You're too old. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You're not something enough. Remember Andrew. Remember Andrew. The next time you think you, you have done too much, the things that you've done in your past, the life that you have lived up until this morning, the life that you have lived, you've made too many mistakes. You have walked too far away from God. Your past is too painful to you for you to overcome. The next time Satan puts any of those thoughts in your mind, what you need to do is remember Andrew. You need to go back and remember Andrew. Because Andrew wasn't the man going like this. Who can take me on? I'm Samson or whatever the case. He, no, he knew. He knew. He knew who he was. 
And he knew he was in relation to God. He knew he had a great God. Andrew was the kind of guy who reminds us, when I am weak, then I am strong. I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. He reminds us it's not about my ability, but it's about my humility. That's what Andrew reminds us of. He reminds us that it's, it's never what I can do, but it's what my God can do through me. That's what he reminds us of. That's what I love about him. That's what I love about him. I tell people all the time, I say, you know what? We've, we started this thing, self-sustaining enterprises through the church, and we want to do this. And I, I, want to, I say, I want to build a $100 million company. I've had multiple people say, you know, you really shouldn't say that. Kind of sounds, you know, sounds like what? Sounds like 300 taken on 135,000? Yep, it does. Sounds like some shepherd boy taking a stone and hitting and killing a giant, the, the, the main giant. Sounds like an 85-year-old man taking on giants, taking on the hill country where all these giants were there, but that, that drove fear into the heart of the entire nation. Is that what it sounds like? See, that's what you need to do. You need to say to yourself, yeah, I'm not so great, but you know, God gave me a, a specific vision, and I'm going to think big. I'm going to think real big, not because I'm so great, because he's so great. And so when people tell you, oh, that's ridiculous, that's, a, that's impossible. Impossibilities are just opportunities for your capacity to be stretched. See, Andrew, Andrew was one of those rare people who didn't mind taking second place. He didn't mind, he didn't mind taking a supporting role. He, 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 didn't, he didn't mind being the person who, who wasn't in the, in the forefront as long as the job was getting done. Is the kingdom of God being built? If the answer was yes, Andrew was in. In Mark chapter 9, verse 35, it says this. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. That describes Andrew. And that's to describe every single one of us. Bow your heads with me. Here's the thing as we close. Everything, every gift that you have, every talent that you have, all the resources that you have, the money, every, you name it, the resources that you have are more powerful in the hands of Jesus. Andrew brought a little boy with five loaves and two fish to Jesus because he knew instinctively that everything is made more powerful, more miraculous in the hands of Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus Christ, if you, if you want to stretch your faith, then you need to know him. Andrew brought people, he introduced people to Jesus Christ. And if you want to be a person, if you want to be the person that you were created to be, you need to come to know him. That is the first step in everything that we've been talking about through the series and even before. You need to come to know him. And some of you are thinking, I can't do that because I'm doing this. I live this way. I'm that or whatever the case may be. I've walked so far away from the Lord. I, I've come to church all my life and I, and I've never really stepped up and God wouldn't truly accept me. That stop all those lies that come from Satan. If you want to be the person you were created to be, you need to come to know him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, whomever, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. In Romans 10.9 it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you confess that and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. 
And when Jesus saves you, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the Bible says. The new has come. You have not walked too far away from God. There's nothing you have done in your past that God will not forgive you for. You don't have to, you can just, you need to surrender yourself to Christ. You don't have to be better. You don't have to be stronger. You don't have to work harder. You need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Make him the Lord and the Savior of your life. And then watch him do the work through you. If that is your desire this morning, if it's your desire to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Just pray it to yourself. Father, I am tired of trying to live this life on my own. I am tired of being someone that you have not created me to be. I'm tired of posturing. I'm tired of living the life that I'm living right now. I want to be more like Andrew because I want to be more like you. Wipe out all the thoughts that are coming into your mind of all the, all the roadblocks, all the reasoning why you wouldn't do and have a relationship with Christ. That's your heart's desire. Throw out all those other thoughts. Let Jesus take care of all the details. What you're focused on is my relationship with Jesus Christ. Bible says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive you for your sin and purify you from all unrighteousness. Father, you say this to God. Father, I want to do over. I want to start afresh. I want the old to be gone. I want the new to come. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want you to show me my gifts, my talents, my abilities. And I want to live for you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. Thank you for forgiving me for my sin. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to keep your heads bowed just for a second. And anyone who's prayed that prayer for the very first time, I want you to just raise your hand up. Put it up. First time. Amen. Amen. I definitely want to talk to you sometime this week. Please come and find me. I know I saw, I saw a couple of people so I can maybe connect with you as well. But I want you to come and find me and I want to help you. I want to help you in your spiritual journey. I want to help you in the next steps of your spiritual journey. Father, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you for the example of an incredible man, a humble man, a simple man. Someone we don't hear too much about. But that's like the rest of us, Lord God. In this big world, we're small people in this big world, but we can do amazing things because you are our God. And we love you for that. We pray it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a fantastic week.